Good morning. The scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession to, of it to the praise of his glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Michael. There was uh, some point in the last week or two, maybe when the weather was a little off, I can't remember what exactly the circumstances were, but I went to the mall, the Dulles Mall, and uh, it came through a door that I don't normally go to, and I, there was actually a specific store I wanted to find, and so, of course, what did I do? But I, I went and I found that giant map, the kiosk that says, uh, you are here. And sometimes I wonder when uh, future civilizations uh, uncover our civilization here and they want to study us and learn more about us, I wonder what they'll think when they find a mall. Uh, like, what happened here? What do they do here? What's going on here? Well, at least they'll have a map, right, if that survives. And they'll be able to say, oh, they came here for this and for that and for these kinds of things. Ah, okay, it kind of makes sense. Uh, but the reality is, uh, if you just walked into any mall, and didn't know, you know, the first time there, didn't know where anything was. Uh, there are a couple things you could probably find on your own, like you could kind of walk around maybe and sniff your way to the food court. Uh, you would know that some of the major department stores are on the outside, right? But as far as everything else, you're just going to be uh, lost in the dark. And uh, if you looked at the map for maybe, maybe 20 seconds and memorized all you could, uh, it'd still be hard to replicate all of it. Sometimes malls can be so big, it's more than we can take in at once. Nevertheless, it's helpful to know you are here, where you're starting from. And in a lot of ways, this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate to the Ephesians. That God's, who God is and his love is so incredible 
much more incredible than a mall. Uh, it's so incredible that you, that if, if I were to describe all of it to you, uh, it would be difficult for us to take all of it in all at one time. And so he's going to start walking us through, but he begins with these first two verses by saying, hey, here's where we are. Uh, someone shared on social media recently, I think it was someone in this church, uh, a meme with, uh, with a couple speaking of civilizations. And let's say there's two pictures. One on the left side says, uh, what we imagine ancient civilizations would be most impressed by. And it's a picture of a smartphone. Uh, we think, oh yeah, these smartphones are amazing. Like They blow our minds that we have these. Surely people a thousand years ago would be like, what is that? That's incredible. Uh, and then the second half of the screen sa- says what, they're actually, what they actually would be blown away by. And it's, uh, it's the section of the grocery store with all the spices. <laughs> like, and, and it's true. Like They'd look at all these spices and they're like, that's a dollar? That's Five dollars? Like, wars were fought over those three spices. Like, it, like, these are major things that we just, yeah, I'll take that and that and that and that for less than a day's pay. Uh, and they'd be blown away by that because they understand spices. And uh, so in, in the same kind of way, when we look at Ephesians 1, what Mike just read, it can kind of be, it seems impressive, uh, but it can be so big, and maybe for some of you filled with so much religious language, you're like, I don't know, that sounds really cool. I'm glad God is all those things, and that's pretty incredible, but, but it's not connecting. Like, help me connect this to real life. So I'm hoping that as we go through this, and a little bit today, a little more in the weeks to come, that we'll be able to connect with it like an ancient civilization would to spices. Does that make sense? We'll be able to see the good things, the life-changing things, uh, even how wars might cease <laughs> uh, through all of this. And so we begin here with, uh, with this description of how un- incomprehensible God's love is, how, how, uh, how much, uh, much greater his holiness, what he's done for us, uh, his, his awesome power, his knowledge, how much bigger they are from all of us. Well, Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, unashamedly dives headfirst into praise and thanksgiving to God for all that he's done. And, uh, and so we're going to dig into this as well. F.F. F. Bruce says that this book of Ephesians does a really good job of walking us through translating how amazing God is and translating that into how the church can be changed by it, how you and me can be changed by it. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at where we've been, where we're going, and where we are now. Where we've been, where we're going, and where we are now. Or the, fu- or the history, the future, and the present. So first, looking at the history. The history of the Ephesians, the history of the Apostle Paul. Uh, it, you may think this is just a stationary uh, letterhead right? that Paul is writing on, but it's not. There's, there's so much to unpack in just these first two verses that we know that Paul, and they knew who Paul was, that Paul, when he just says, hey, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, that there is so much in that. Uh, Because Paul was not always Paul, but he used to be Saul of Tarsus. He used to be a very prominent Jew, a very prominent Pharisee, teacher of the law. 
He knew all of his stuff. If he were to go toe-to-toe with other Jews of his day, he would know more about God's law and about God, and, and his life would have better examples of how a, a Jew should live than 99% of everyone he walked into or he, or he bumped into. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He describes himself uh, accurately from what we know of him. In Philippians 3, he describes himself this way. But the church in the first days of Saul of Tarsus uh, feared him. Right? You've, heard, you've heard the joke, uh, why is six afraid of seven? Right? Uh, because seven, eight, nine. Right? Uh, well, why is the church afraid of Saul? Because of Acts 7, 8, and 9. Uh, and the first two verses of 9 at least. Because in, in 7, we see the first martyr of the church. That Stephen, one of the first deacons, uh, was stoned to death. And the one who kind of helped organize it, or at least watched watch everyone's coat, uh, you know, so they could have a better swing at him, uh, was Saul of Tarsus. And in 8, he starts to have an all-out assault on the church. He's actively going out to find those who are believers in Jesus, to have them dragged away and punished in a multitude of ways. And in the beginning of chapter, Acts chapter 9, he's going to Damascus to do even more of this. But in 9 verse 3 and later is where Jesus changes Saul's life forever. He stops him in the middle of the road. He blinds him with this light. And he, I mean, all of a sudden Saul realizes as Jesus is speaking to him that, oh, I am on the wrong side here. I, you know, and Jesus says, I'm, yeah, I have plans for you. And so he goes and uh, he goes to, uh, and, and later uh, it all starts to unpack for him. But this was not his plan. So when Paul says, you know, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, none of that was his will. None of that had been his plan. Like his will and his plan was to be the best Pharisee he could be, the best, best Jew he could be. And as best he knew, that, was, that meant oppressing the church and wiping out all who believed in Jesus. And yet God had a better plan. Thank God that his will interceded instead. And uh, that he had not just a plan to change Saul, but a plan for his life a purpose for his life. And uh, so, you know, when, when, I look, when I look at Paul, when I look at myself, you know, I, I know that I tend to mess things up all the time. That my best intention uh, at, in a given moment, uh, there are times that what I intend in a given moment uh, doesn't happen, and later I'm relieved that it doesn't happen because I find out how foolish it would have been. There was a time when I, my first year in college, that I was interviewed by the local paper as a person on the street, and I gave, I don't know what kind of answer I gave, um, but later I, I had a, a funnier answer, and uh, a little off-color, but funnier, uh, and so I called the reporter, I tracked them down in the office, and I'm like, hey, can I replace my quote? And he took it down, and thankfully he didn't print it, <laughs> because a lot of people I knew, my mom, uh, others read it later. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad that you used my original quote and not the one I thought was really funny. Just a little sign as God in that point in my life had been working. I had known he'd been working for about a year or so, been walking with Jesus for a year. I was still kind of used to what it means to follow Jesus. And, and it's little things like that. I was like, oh, 
okay, thank you, God. <laughs> Thanks for bailing me out on that one. Uh, thankfully, there was a reporter who had better sense than me on that. The, the people at Ephesus as well. You know, when Paul describes the Ephesians, he's also describing himself. He's also describing us. When he says in chapter 2, and I'm going to give kind of an overview of the book today. He says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That you were unable to come to God. But, in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. You know, this is Paul. This is, these are the Ephesians. This is you and me. And, and sometimes we might not be sure why our past is the way it is. There are probably a ton of things in, in my story that I would change if I could. Maybe there are things in your story you would change too, th- things you've done that you regret. Uh, whatever it may be, we so appreciate Paul in this book, but also just all throughout his writings and his interactions. He never tries to cover up his past. Because when he meets Jesus, he's convicted and he repents, but his shame is gone. And he begins to heal uh, from the shame, any shame that he did feel. Uh, he knows that in Christ... That there is, there's really no place anymore for shame. There's place for genuine conviction and repentance, yes. But, but Christ, when he welcomes you and calls you from death to life, doesn't do so so he can constantly remind you what a bad person you were to shame you. No, if we ever are, remember, if we ever remember who we were and what God has done in our lives, if, if it's done, and even if however it comes up, God wants us to see that and to be reminded of what he has done. He doesn't intend that we be filled with shame and, and, uh, and, and like a self-focused, uh, like a self-flagellation kind of a thing. But who, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now, as I've said before, children are, are really good observers. Uh, they have fantastic imaginations. Uh, like my, uh, my son just the other day was uh, complaining about how uh, bored he was, and that happens a lot uh, in between things. You're like, I'm bored. What do I do? And uh, we kind of had a talk, and I held off for a little bit. And then within a minute or two, like all of a sudden, he gets lost away in some imaginary world, and he's drawing pictures, and he's pretending he's somebody, and it's, it's pretty actually kind of cool to watch. Like all of a sudden, him gets sucked into his imagination. Uh, kids have great imaginations. They have great attention. Uh, not the best interpretation of what's really going on. And this is something that happens and continues on into adulthood. Like, we, we get a better framework for how to interpret what's going on, but, but we always never know exactly all the, all the reasons for what's going on. And there are many unanswered questions we may have. Now, why did this happen? Why is this happening to me now? And it's the same with kids. They often feel like if anything good happens, they did it somehow. If anything bad happens... They did it somehow. And even as adults, like I, if something good happens, I feel like, yeah, I deserve that. That was, that was pretty awesome. If something bad happens, I'm like, oh, what did I do to... I'm, and there might not be anything that I did or didn't do to cause a good thing or a bad thing that I'm experiencing. And yet, that's my first inclination. But the story that by the will of God is happening in our lives is, is not just 
not just any story, and it's not left to us to interpret. It's not left to us to, to, to determine by our own understanding what's going to happen next. But we can trust that it's actually not just history, but his story, right? That all of history is his story, is God's story of what he's doing in us. And if we can look back and say, wow, I'm, God, I'm glad that God was in control uh, because I really wasn't and, and I'm glad he's wiser than I am because I'm not always wise. And we can trust and have hope that in whatever happens next, uh, that he will still be uh, in control. And this brings us great hope when our faith is in Christ, which I'll unpack here more in a minute. So this history really is his story and it gives us Hope. It gives us, us hope, gives Paul hope, gives the church in Ephesus hope, all because God set them apart. God set Paul apart, set us apart. And so we're looking at, at history, where we've been, also the future, where we're going. And a lot of where we're going has to do with these two words. When Paul calls himself an apostle, and when he calls the church saints. When he calls himself an apostle, this is a title Jesus gave him. This is uh, some, a purpose that Jesus has given him to be to play a, a very key role in the church at that time. Apostle means sent. It means a messenger, one who is sent with an official purpose. And Paul knows that he is sent with that message. He knows that he is not Christ. He is not the, the Messiah. He is the messenger bearing the message of the Messiah uh, to the world and to anyone he comes with. And he takes it seriously. As I'm reading through the book of Acts, it's interesting that there are times that, uh, I mean, the Apostle, the Apostle Paul just knows he's supposed to go and talk about the good news about Christ. And there are a couple times that he wants to go somewhere, and then something happens, and he, it says like something like he was uh, convinced by the Spirit not to go there. Or he was blocked, prevented even. Like his mode is, I'm just going to go and share the good news about Jesus. He was sent to do this. But then he talks about the saints the saints who are in Ephesus, who are, and that word also means set apart in kind of a different way. If apostle means sent, a messenger, uh, saint, uh, now it doesn't mean uh, better than everybody else. Like you might have been taught that saint means, oh, that person was an extra good human. Uh, in the scriptural sense, uh, it means literally set apart. It means uh, the word sanctified or holified, holyified, uh, set apart for a holy purpose. There were some items in the ancient temple that were set apart just for use in the temple. Those were holy, sanctified items. If they were humans, they'd be called saints. They'd be set apart for that purpose. And we, who are brought from death to life, are set apart for holy purposes as well. That is who we are. It, you know, I, I, I don't want to... Um, cast any judgment on the situation because I don't know anything about it really, uh, but there's been some keen awareness uh, as, as Prince Harry and uh, the Duke and Duchess of so-and-so, I forget their title, uh, the Prince Harry and Meghan over across the pond there, uh, that they, as they lose their, uh, their office, their title comes with it, right? That, that, that being called uh, your royal highness comes with it a certain uh, kind of, uh, of duties. And I'm not sure if they'll be able to completely escape those because they're always going to be in the world's eye, in a lot of ways, prince and princess or duke and duchess. Um, but they're more officially having that taken. In the same way, 
when we're brought from death to life, we have an official uh, purpose by who we are. And yes, we are very much royalty in God's family. We're royalty. We're, we're not just uh, you know, the, the, the people below everything. We are in God's household, co-heirs with Christ. And so we have a purpose set apart, being set apart in that way. We have this inheritance. And so the Apostle Paul had to learn this uh, sometimes uh, at the beginning the hard way. Uh, you know, Jesus, when he came, uh, when Paul was blinded, he went to Damascus and he had a vision that someone named Ananias was going to come and restore his sight. And so he was just waiting blind for someone named Ananias to come. And, and then uh, the Lord spoke to Ananias and said, hey, go find the Apostle, not the Apostle, go find Saul. And, uh, and Ananias says, um, he wants to kill me, I'm pretty sure. And the Lord says, no, I've, he has, uh, I've changed him, and I'm gonna, I have, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. We see in Ephesians 5 that we... Uh, have been set apart uh, before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. Uh, it's hard to stop reading that because verse 3 and everything after is really one sentence. We just like put commas and periods in there just to make it easier for us to understand. But Paul is, is like, it just keeps going that we have been set apart before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless, to, um, to have his holy purpose. That when, it's, when we talk about the we, we talk about who, the church. And I, I should probably say this explicitly because we live in such an individualistic society that there's a lot of language in Ephesians that is going to challenge that aspect of our culture. Because uh, Ephesians is talking about a we. It's talking about a plural. It's talking about us belonging to a body. And not everything in Ephesians is, like, we, sometimes we just translate it as saying, well, each of you, each one of you should do this. Each of you, well, yes, it is each of us, but it's, it's us together. It's all of us together. We are the church, his people. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means those who have been called the called ones. And so in a way, we are King's Cross called ones. King's Cross, those who've been set apart. King's Cross, the set apart ones, the called ones. Those who are chosen. The King's Cross, those who've been brought from death to life and have a real purpose in God's kingdom today. We're the called ones. And in Romans 8, it says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who've been called according to his purpose. Not just, uh, not just his purpose, but also to be his treasured possession. Ah, to be his treasured possession. We, we, we know uh, in Ephesians 2, it says that he saved us so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Uh, it says uh, at the end of that uh, paragraph, yes, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we could, should walk in them. But then above that it says, but also that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you've been saved. We are not just 
set apart for purpose, but his treasured possession. And, and, and this is kind of a, a, a crazy uh, illustration, but when I was a kid, and maybe it's still the case, uh, if, if I was with other kids and there was a plate of cookies set out on the table, uh, and there was one cookie that looked especially good, but we were told you can't eat them yet. What, do, what would happen? You remember? Oh, maybe you didn't do this. Like, I would grab the best cookie, lick it, and put it back. Because I, I didn't eat it. I didn't technically break the rules, but I set that apart for me. <laughs> that was my treasured possession. I had a purpose for it. Uh, and, and in the same way, God, for, for, to God, we are called to be his, his treasured possession. Uh, and it's not just to eat us or anything like that, but uh, uh, he has a purpose far greater. You know, if a cookie is going to delight our hearts, uh, how much more so, and yes, more so, uh, we delight his to be his. He calls us and sets us apart, not for his greed, but for his glory, because it says uh, later what uh, we read in verse 4. And by the way, we have a new uh, worship guide format, and if you want to follow along with the passage, we have most of the passage printed on this little flap thing here. So you can kind of look at that and take notes if you want, or underline, highlight. But it it is why it is in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. It is in love that he adopted us and made us his own called as ones he loves. And as Jesus uh, said that all the Father gives me, no one can snatch out of my hand. If we are his, if we are called to be his and set apart, we cannot be taken out of his hand. And this makes the purpose for which he has set us or set for us all the more sweeter, right? Because if you miss the, the love of God in all of this, and even the love of God that, that Paul has experienced, and even that the Ephesians, in some sense, have experienced, then the purpose just seems almost cruel, right? It's a huge difference between looking to God as a taskmaster and, and seeing, seeing him as someone who's judging your life as constantly lacking, right? And that's not the life. That, that's not the, the life to which he's called us, a life of constant uh, a constant, feel, just always thinking of God as, as, uh, as someone who's constantly judging us. Because in Christ, our judgment has been already uh, taken care of. The verdict is in. We are his. We are his treasured possession. And once we understand his love, then the purpose is different. And the purpose becomes one of joy. And we can take delight in that purpose. Like, we start to realize, oh, We've been made, I've been born for this. Just like in every superhero movie, every superhero story, right? It's very, it's not that common that someone, when they discover their superpowers, find it to be something they hate. They're like, oh, I was made for this. Look at all, all that I can do as a result of this. We are set apart and gifted in the same way. Set apart to love one another, to show mercy, to listen to one another, to be a safe place where it's okay to have a hard conversations about things that we face, to study the scripture together, to pray together, to be in one another's lives in a culture that is fairly superficial. We are called, set apart, to gather for these things, to grow in these things, and called and set apart and built to glorify God in all these things. 
Paul says, he, he refers to them also as those who are in Ephesus, the saints in Ephesus, and also those who are in Christ. Those who are in Ephesus and those who are also in Christ. And, and uh, in, in Ephesus, yes, Ephesus was a very important city. It was uh, a port city. Uh, important and a port city. It had a major port. It had uh, two major roadways. Back, uh, and so back then, it's like having two major interstates intersect. And so there's a lot of commerce there, a lot of thought, a lot of people traveling there. Um, it was a very religious city uh, and a, a lot of suburbs around it as well. Uh, a place where, uh, where uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, was. A magnificent temple. And Paul came and preached the gospel there. And, and when he was there, he brought with him uh, a couple he met in Corinth named Priscilla and Aquila, uh, a couple uh, who were refugees from Italy, actually, at the time, and spent a lot of time with them, uh, discipled them. And then he left them in Ephesus. And, and the church, Paul really started the church in Ephesus. And, uh, and, and it grew as a result. But there was... Those who were there were both in Ephesus and in Christ. And being in Ephesus and in Christ are both ways we can find our identity. And what we're meant to do is find our identity in Christ first. And then look at how, what it means for us being in Ephesus. Find our identity in Christ, in those uh, to whom grace and much has been given by God. And then secondarily, what it means to be in Loudoun County. Like, there's a lot about being in Ashburn, being in Loudoun County, or Clark County, Fauquier County, wherever you're from, right? Um, uh, there's a lot about being here that we can kind of get lost in what's going on. And we can get lost in the rat race. We can get lost in the, in the fear of, of failure. We can get lost in the striving for, for stuff and success. And we get lost in the pressure, the, all, all kinds of pressures that are around here. And if that is the dominant way that we find ourselves then, then we're just going to bounce back and forth between all those pressures and all those fears. But we're meant to be in Christ. In Christ. To be to defined first and foremost uh, as what's important in our life, being His, uh, having this inheritance He's given us waiting for us, and even getting to taste that now. That's it, to be in His smile and delight. And, and when you know you're in Christ fully, uh, then, then when you're in a job, it's, it's, not, you know, it's not the most important thing for you. It, whether you're wealthy or not, in wealth or in debt, uh, it's not the most important thing. Being in Christ is the most important. Whether you're in important people circles, uh, you know celebrities, you know politicians, you know who's who, or you don't, like that's not who you are but as you find your identity in Christ, it will influence for the better how you interact in all those other circles. All the ways we can be defined. And it's us together. All in. Because we're being built together, chapter 2 says. Built up together to be this, uh, this temple. Uh, this built together to be members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets can't wait to dive into that. But we're all diving in. We're all in. You know, um, Martin Luther King, who we celebrate, there's a holiday named after him, Martin Luther King Jr. You know, of course, he said, I have a dream. He gave that famous speech a few times, most notably in front of the Lincoln Memorial. He talked about this unity that we could experience uh, in, in America even. 
this kind of unity that, trans, that, uh, that, that goes, transpires uh, uh, all, uh, all color, color of our skin, all kinds of things, and not just color of our skin. But that kind of natural thing doesn't just happen. That idea came from, that theology of Dr. King's came from the Scripture and even the book of Ephesians. This kind of unity that we could have and should have. It happens, and it, the church has been at the start of so much good that has happened in the societies around the world. And that's the kind of thing that he can use us uh, for. So there's our past, there's our, our future, and then there's our present. And, and the present, he's, he talks about how grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that's, That is a formal greeting, but those are also things we need. There are also things we need. Because we know a few things about the Ephesians. We know the Ephesians were really smart. We know the Ephesians were really good at determining true teachings from false teachings. And all this really started, it goes back generations. Uh, it, it goes back to, uh, to when, uh, when Paul started the church and Priscilla and Aquila were there. There was another teacher named Apollos who came in. You might recognize that name. He became a famous uh, preacher too. Uh, but he, in his first messages in Ephesus kind of got a few of the things wrong uh, about Jesus. He hadn't heard about the, the Holy Spirit. He didn't know the Holy Spirit existed. And so Priscilla and Aquila, who had spent uh, a lot of time with the Apostle Paul being discipled by him, took Apollos aside and said, hey, let's, let me tell you just a little bit more and let me explain to you what's going on. So Ephesus has this long history of thinking critically. Is this thing that you're saying about God true or not? And we see this in Revelation 2 which is written a few decades later. Now, the church in Ephesus had this long history of being really discerning, but, but, he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. This is, this is the angel. Uh, this is, uh, rather, this is, this is God speaking to the church in Ephesus. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. I think this it, it can be so appropriate, too. And certainly for, for me, and I think for us of us, as we look at this, how they abandoned the love they had at first, uh, that this, this greater love. It was fascinating is, is they're called the church that is faithful. They're, they're called the church that is faithful in Christ Jesus. And that can mean, yes, that they just believe in Jesus, but there's also a sense of loyalty too. Uh, and yet they struggle with this maintaining their first love. And uh, uh, Augustine uh, once wrote about this. Um, Augustine wrote about this first love, wrote about the struggle that we may have with uh, the different things that we can love here in this world. And, and he talked about how our loves are disordered. And how he talked about love, not in a, a gushy, affectionate kind of way, but love as what we are driven towards, right? Love is what drives us. And the things that we love the most are what, are what compels us to action, are what moves us from doing nothing to doing something. That there's a sense of love having uh, our, our full weight put behind it in pursuing it. And in a way, that, that is a great picture of love, isn't it? 
when you love someone or love something, you will rearrange your life around that thing or that someone. And it can be a beautiful thing uh, in, in a lot of ways uh, to rearrange your life out of love for another. But to rearrange your life in such a way where, where Christ is no longer the center and Christ is on the side, that, that, that things get disordered. And, and yet, in all of this, Augustine says, it took me so long to realize this, that there are lovely things that kept me far from you, but you called and cried out loud, and you shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant, and I drew in my breath, and now pant after you. I tasted you, and I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me, and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. Ah, Augustine is getting a taste and pursuing him more and more. It's just like there was a father, of a, a, man, a, a man brought his son to Jesus uh, to have a demon cast out of him. And he says, well, hey, this will happen if you believe. And the father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. And all these things that Paul is saying that God has done for us in verses 3 through 14, all the things that he is, he brings it back up again several times, especially in chapter 3. He's saying, how deep. I pray that you have eyes to understand how deep, how wide, how, how long is the love of God, this inheritance that you have in him. Again, the love of God for us as we sang earlier, he is jealous for me. He loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. That he, he loves us with all his weight. The, the Hebrew word for, for glory also means weight. With all of his glory. He gave up all his glory to become a man a baby, a boy, born as one of us. And so we see, when we know that, then we'll see, hey, there, there's this parable of a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, and he sold everything he had to buy the field that he could have that treasure because he knew that was most important. And so in the same way, as we pray that God would help us see and reorder our loves as they ought to be, to love him first, to sell all we have, get rid of our lesser loves. But as we look closer at Jesus, we see that he is one that sold all he had. Because to us, to him rather, we were the treasure hidden on earth. We were the treasure that he sold everything for. He let his status in heaven go and he became a humble uh, blue-collar uh, worker, apprentice. He, he, he set aside his title, all of his glory, the accolades every day of the angels and heavenly beings that praised him to become mocked and ridiculed, disbelieved and beaten and eventually crucified. He did that selling all he had that we could have heaven's riches. This is where we are. We are those who are set apart, who are loved, who are fixed in Christ. And, and we can pray, just as, as Jesus did, in all, in all honesty and with sincerity, say, Father, not my will, but yours be done, knowing 
that he has good intended for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn to you and we ask that you would indeed uh, change our hearts. Show us, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see uh, your amazing love, your awesome power, your incredible knowledge, uh, and what you have done for us. Uh, Father, help rewrite, uh, help us understand, maybe trace a little bit of and see you in our story behind us. Father, when we have unanswered questions about what we do today or what we might do next, uh, that you would help us to understand that better and the things that we don't understand in light of your scripture. We pray that you'd give us patience and peace as we wait, knowing that your uh, posture towards us is one of love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.